All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Post Game Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it. And at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas, and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers, and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning back in. It's the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. I'm here with a very close friend of mine in former Maryland Terp, David Neal. Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. So, Dave, where are you right now? I just arrived in Columbia, Bogota, to be specific, about two months ago. Down here, my wife works for the U.S. government, and so we've been, we'll be here for about two and a half years, and kind of just getting adjusted to the, the altitude. Never been into a place where it's been, I think we're at 8,700 feet above sea level, so it's taken some time to get used to, but overall, everything we've seen so far and experienced so far, it's going to be a, a beautiful tour. That's awesome, man. So you've been in, in Colombia for less than a month, man. You've got a new baby, a lot of adjustment. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I know you're just getting comfortable in your own living room, let alone on a Zoom call doing a podcast. Yeah. No, like I mean, like I said, evenings are the best. I mean, thankfully, she sleeps well. She's got a pretty structured sleep routine where she's in bed early. So evenings are kind of our mind of Vanessa's time to kind of just unwind and cool down. So it's 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 perfect. Awesome. All right. So Dave, let's get into it, man. You and I, we went to high school together. Bishop O'Connell High School had a great athletic department. Over there, you were one of the best basketball players in the area for a very long time and then went on to play basketball at the University of Maryland. Before you got into talking about your career, you weren't the most athletic guy in the world. You didn't have all the talent in the world. You were kind of a big, bad-bodied substance that's out there, right? But you worked your ass off and you, you know, I think Maryland was probably the biggest school that you got an offer from. And you made something out of it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, coming into to high school, I mean, obviously, I, I was playing AAU basketball. I was doing everything I could to get noticed. It took a, I mean, Joe Wooten followed me around seventh and eighth grade, and and obviously gave me the opportunity to go play at O'Connell, and kind of, I think it really set me up to where what made me successful in Maryland. I mean, people doubted me all through high school, saying I wasn't a top tier division one athlete. I couldn't play with the best. I wasn't able, I wasn't athletic. I couldn't jump. And so one thing I kind of held close to my heart throughout my whole entire basketball career is, is I, I, I listened to the haters and I, that everyone that kind of talked down to me, I kind of used this motivation to kind of push myself even more to prove them all wrong that you don't need to be the most athletic person in the world. You don't need to be able to dunk a basketball and do a windmill there's a lot of other aspects to the game of basketball that can make someone successful. And I kind of really honed in on some of those fundamentals, boxing out, being able to shoot, playing defense, just kind of being that team player. I really think it gave me the opportunity to to go play at the top, at the highest level, at the ACC level. So I kind of kind of keep that close to heart in the in the sports world. And I also keep it kind of close to heart in the real world as well. But I really kind of just putting it on the doubters to kind of give me that motivation to kind of push me to be the best that I can be. Sure, man. So how'd you get into sports in the first place? Just your parents figured out that you were tall and you'd be good at basketball or how'd that start? I mean, they were open to up for us playing any sports. My mom did have one deal when we were kids is either you're going to swim during the summer or you're going to get a job. And obviously we all wanted to, to kind of have fun in the summer. And so we decided to swim, but my parents were big advocates of, you want to play this sport, give it a shot. You want to play that sport, give it a shot. Obviously, I mean, I, I did hit a growth growth spurt pretty early in my childhood. I was about 6'5-ish going into the sixth grade. So I knew basketball did have a, a large 
a larger chance for me to be successful in. My parents luckily had the means to kind of put me on the best AAU teams, giving me the, give me the ability to travel on the weekends to play in these tournaments, these showcase tournaments. But it, I mean, it was really just, I mean, I was my own will to kind of pick what sport I wanted to play. And when I hit about sixth or seventh grade, I had to make a decision of which folk, which sport I really wanted to focus on. And I, I kind of knew that was basketball just because I kind of found the most success in that at such a young age and had the most fun playing it. So I, I stuck to that and kind of ran with it. So you hit a growth spurt playing sports when you're young. If you're the biggest guy out there, you pretty much have a really distinct advantage for a long period of time. And then you get to a point, like in high school, you were a huge human being and had a tremendous amount of success. And then you get to college and then everyone's a big person, right? And you're just, you're not playing a lot your freshman year. Talk to me about that mindset, right? And, and what happened to you when you started playing on a level playing field? Yeah. So, I mean, when I came into Maryland, my first, my freshman year, I mean, I, Coach Williams was kind of upfront with me. And one thing I really liked about Coach Williams is he was pretty blunt. He was going to tell you what his thoughts were and you can kind of take it and run with it, or you can kind of take it and kind of hide behind a closed door and kind of call it quits. Sure. And so he told me, I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle your entire career to get on the basketball court. But I, I think from my mindset and kind of where I was coming from, I, I kind of took that on as a challenge and it was a longer challenge than I expected. It was three years of being pretty much a 95% practice player and, getting very minimal amount of minutes on the bat on the actual game court. But I was fine with that. I mean, I being a team player was kind of most important to me during those three years. I did everything I could on the practice court to make my teammates better. I did everything my coaches told me to do in those three years. And it, I think it really helped me put me in a position to where my senior year, I got the opportunity just because our players graduated, players transferred to really kind of get a really significant amount of minutes and be a significant contributor to the team. I don't think I would have been successful if it wasn't for those first three years, being that practice player, getting out there every day, giving it my 110% and just doing everything I can to make the team better, even knowing that I probably was only going to play one or two games those first three seasons. So talk, talk to me about that experience. It's one thing to say you didn't play your first three years. It was a humbling experience you learned a lot and you were much more mature to be on the field or on the court you know your your senior year and you can be a leader and a mentor part of that is just human development and getting older right the other part of that is you still weren't the best player on the team your senior year you're still for lack of better words still a role player okay for sure what does that do to you mentally what does that do to you for for your identity and how do you deal with it for better or worse yeah, I guess, I mean, during high school, I guess I was that one of me, my, me and my teammate Marcus Ginger were probably the two most well-known players on our team. And uh, it was like that for three years. So it was definitely a bit of adjustment coming to Maryland, kind of being that nobody, you know, who's Dave Neal? Why, where is he coming from? Who did he play for? Why, is he any good? Sure. So, I mean, from a mindset standpoint, I mean, as I kind of said earlier, I mean, there was a lot of doubters with that put that, Gary got called out on for giving me the one scholarship my freshman year. And I really kind of used that as motivation. My All my four years in Maryland is people continually doubted me as not being able to play at the highest level, not playing against the best players because I wasn't a very well-known five-star athlete coming out of high school. And so I kind of used that as motivation every single day to kind of push to be the, be the best that I can be. I mean, I can't be better than what I'm physically capable sure. of doing. And I know that I might have to put in a couple more hours of hard work on the court and the weight room just to put myself at the same level as some of these five-star athletes. Sure. Um, so, but it was just, I mean, but my team in general, I mean, we really didn't have any big time players that were coming out of high school as a one and done or kind of those Kevin Durant's or those Ty Lawson's or people out of the DC area. So. And you played with those guys in high school. I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were, we were all on the same AAU team. I mean, we grew up playing together, but I think our, the team that I claim, I mean, my senior year, the identity of my team, none of us were standout players. We, we knew what it took to be a great team player and great teammates. And I think that's what we took to heart. And that's kind of what I took to heart my four years in Maryland. It's just, how can I be the best teammate? How can I make the team, sure. the players around me better? Even not being a well-known 
basketball player sure. at, at a five-star level, if that makes sense. Of course, it makes sense and it resonates with me. I mean, I can, I can relate. I was one of the best high school players in our area. And then, you know, you go to a national level and I go to a school at the University of Miami and like, I'm, I don't show up on Google. We didn't have Instagram yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I was kind of a no name that needed to prove myself. And, and it was mediocre for, for lack of better words, but you go through, you know, an identity transition, if you will, and, yeah. and get humbled really fast. And it can be good or it can be, it can be a tough process. And also, I mean, at that level, at the D1 level, I mean, you have the, op- you have every outlet to be, to make yourself as good as you want. Sure. I mean, you have the best strength coaches, you have the best coaches, you have the best facilities. And so, I mean, I, I, I took it upon myself to utilize those facilities as much as I could on top of being a, a student. But I mean, there, the, the opportunity was there. And I kind of tell people to this day, I mean, it, there's always going to be an opportunity in your life and it's up to you to kind of capitalize on that opportunity. You never know when it's going to come. You don't know how it's going to come, when it's going to come, sure. what it's going to be about. But if you've put in all that work, to kind of lead up to it whenever it comes, there's a very good chance that you're going to be able to to make the most of it. And that's kind of, that's the kind of story that I tell people sure. in my college career. I mean, I had one opportunity, big opportunity in my senior year to kind of prove myself. And I claimed to, to be successful in that opportunity because of the, the, the amount of hours and the work I put in kind of to lead up to that. Sure. Was there a shift in your mindset between your first few years there in your senior year where it was kind of like, this is the last shot I have to prove myself and leave something behind to remember my yeah. time here at University I mean, of Maryland? Most definitely. I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, I remember this day as like it was yesterday. It was kind of summer going into my senior year and I knew what the team makeup was going to be going into my senior year already just because people graduating, who was going to transfer in and whatnot. So coach Williams kind of sat me down and he was like, this is your senior year. I mean, you have a, an excellent opportunity to kind of put significant minutes in, be a significant contributor, but you still got a lot of work to do. And he gave me a list of things that I need to work on every single day that summer, kind of leading up to the season. And he was like, if you do these, I mean, I can't guarantee you anything, but I, I guarantee you, or I, I can't guarantee you anything, but I can pretty much say that you know, be in your favor if you do these things every single day and progress and improve that you'll get a you'll get a chance to play and kind of be a starter for an ACC level team and kind of when I had that meeting I walked out and I was like it's game time like it's this is I got one year left I got nothing to lose let's go out there and give it all sure and so that I mean that summer I I put in a lot of hours I put in a lot of effort made a lot of sacrifices but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it paid off to say that I could walk away and say I started for a, an ACC level for a national championship team at, at that kind of caliber of talent. Yeah. I mean, look, you've had the opportunity to play for some great coaches. I mean, you had Joe Wooten at O'Connell. I sat next to Gary Williams at your wedding and just what a presence. If you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't know who he was because he's just kind of like this unassuming, just gentle soul. He was he was yeah. incredible and had nothing but the best things to say about you, man. Gentle until you until he coached you on the basketball court, but still an absolute legend. Respect sure. him. I mean, the fact that he, I think he came to my wedding speaks speaks a lot of words. I mean, he he's got a lot of players that he coached, and I mean, I can't speak to. I don't know how many weddings he's been to, but I mean, the fact that he made the time to come out there and help celebrate a beautiful day it meant a lot to me. Just because he did a lot for me at Maryland, and. Uh, it just it was it was awesome to see that he could come out there and celebrate with us. Sure, I think it's uh, Jay Shetty. Who I, I read a lot of Shetty and listen to a lot of Shetty. Man, he's he's amazing. But he says you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be everything that you are. And I think you just did a tremendous job of of making the most of what you were at that moment. You know, talk to me about the path for you immediately after you finished playing in college. So it was interesting. I mean, we made it. So we we lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Memphis. It sucks that we lost in the round of 32, but with the team that we had, I mean, everyone doubted that we were going to make the tournament. We were going to be kind of bottom of the field in the ACC. And the fact that we kind of came together and made a run in the tournament really put a kind of exclamation point on the season and kind of spoke to the team that we were. And so it, we, we definitely ended the season on a high. I was co-MVP or 
yeah, co-MVP with uh, my teammate, Gravis Vasquez. So, I mean, I was sad that we lost, but at the same time, looking back on it, I mean, it was, was one hell of a senior year. I started all but one game, played in some amazing games against North Carolina and Michigan State, the two teams that played in the finals that year. And so I was, I was, I was kind of on a high. It was kind of almost surreal. I was like, did this season really just happen? Did we make it to the NCAA tournament? I was kind of a face of a, a, an ACC team, if you will. It took me a little bit of a time to kind of come down from that high. I definitely kind of made the most of it in College Park. Well, talk to me and, about that, right? So who are, who are you in College Park at this time? You're having a great season for a very high-profile ACC basketball team. Who are you in College Park? I mean, if you speak to some people, I mean, they consider me as the mayor of College Park. And a lot of that goes to just my, my sociable, my sociable, outgoing kind of personality that I have. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do like to go out and do like to have a good time. And I um, kind of showed that at the end of the season. I was taking one class one day a week on Fridays just because I, I did well with my academics leading up to my spring semester of my senior year. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. The season was over. I didn't have practice. I didn't have tutors. I didn't have study hall. And so a lot of it came down to kind of almost celebrating the year um, sure. that we had. And so during the season, though, during the season, are you going to sleep early, waking up early, hitting the gym, eating well? What did that look like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I wouldn't say I was like the most p- picture perfect athlete. But yeah, I mean, I was I was in the weight room. Every single day, I was in the gym shooting, getting shots up before practice, staying late after practice. But I mean, at the same time, I tell people, I mean, I'm a real human being. I like to kind of go out. I like to have a good time. I like to socialize. I like to 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 be around people. And the kind of group of friends that I had in College Park and still have to this day were kind of the same people. I mean, they most sure. of them were athletes playing football, baseball, soccer, kind of all the sports and. I mean, we, we definitely went out and had a good time uh, when we could. It, it was definitely few and far between. But, I mean, you, you kind of feel out your schedule. You kind of know what what is expected of you. And so when you kind of have those days off or you have a night where you can maybe go out and have a couple and hang out with your friends, I think it's I, – I, for me, I think it's a great thing to do for college athletes to kind of see both aspects of the college world. I mean, obviously, we are student athletes, so there's – an aspect of being a student and there's an as- aspect of being an athlete. And I think it's, it is a balance. You need to balance both, but I think at the same time you need to go out and you kind of need to socialize. And I mean, at the end of the day, a student's almost is, is the same as you. I mean, they're going to school to get an, an education and, and a degree. And as an athlete, we're doing the same thing. So I definitely had a structured schedule, but I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that I never went out and never had a good time. I mean, there was definitely a lot of good nights my senior year in college park. <laughs> and so do you think if you had acted differently or maybe gone out and socialized and had a good time or maybe less of those good nights in college park, the results would have been different on the court? No, I personally don't. I mean, I think, I mean, even every time I walked onto the basketball court, I, I gave my hundred, 110%. I gave everything I could. There were days where I was definitely a little more sluggish than maybe I should have been. But, I mean, you kind of go out there and, I mean, you put it on your own shoulders. If you're going to go out and enjoy a night and have a good time, it's on you to kind of go out there the next day and do what you need to do to, For sure. to better your teammates and better yourself. So I wouldn't say that during the season what I did had any effect on the outcome of our season. I mean, I think, I mean, you, sp- you speak to some Maryland fans till this day and they say, Outside of Gary's national championship, the run that we made sure. senior year with one of his better seasons that he coached. Yeah, I will tell you, I've always had tremendous respect for you. You've been able to balance both sides. You've always been extremely social. People love you. You've got a great personality. And then when you're dedicated to something, you are 110% in it. If you're exercising, you're exercising your ass off. If you're playing a sport, you're extremely competitive. If you're in a discussion about something you're very inquisitive, you know, and I think that's, that's something that's just innate in you that allowed you to, to be successful in sports. And I think, I mean, I, I, that's what made me successful in sports. And I think that's what makes me successful now in the real world. I mean, I am extremely competitive. You can ask my wife still to this day. I mean, you can ask, I mean, as you know, as a, as a close friend of mine, you can ask me, I am, (laughs) I am, I am very competitive. I mean, that's, it's what drives me and kind of what gets me going every single day when I wake up. I mean, now it's 
being the best dad that I can be and, and being the best husband that I can be. And, and how can I do that? And how can I better myself in those two worlds every single day is kind of what drives me in. All right. So before we, so before we get to how you're sitting in the seat right now, okay. Cause it's, it's got a happy ending or, or, or happy current status, yeah. but your senior year, you had a celebratory, it's called a victory lap in college park. Talk to me about that. And then talk to me about your first couple of years out of college. Yeah. So, I mean, I had uh, a couple of buddies of mine that we, we kind of made it a pact within each other to kind of see how many nights in a row that we could go out. There's a former teammate of mine kind of had a, a similar streak that I was as a competitor. I was kind of determined to, to challenge that streak of going out consecutively in college park and just in general. I mean, it's, it's going out, it's going out and showing up at a, at a house party or it's going out and doing a bar crawl. What's, what's going out? Uh, it's, it's whatever. It's just going out every single night. It was either going to a house party, bar crawl. If you're on vacation going out, I mean, it just had to be a consecutive streak of going out. But you're um, drinking every time you're going out. For sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely at that day and age, definitely quite a bit of drinking that was going on. And it kind of, it went for, we ended the season in March and it probably went till about the middle of June ish where we were kind of going out every single night, having a good time, kind of doing what seniors in college do for the most part. I mean, that's kind of their, as you said, a victory lap. It was definitely, it was a doozy. It was, it was an experience looking back on it. Would I say I would probably do it differently? Probably, but kind of, I just had a lot of emotions going on in my head from the season. I, I had a lot of free time as a college student, didn't really know what to do with it. And, that kind of resorted me to kind of going out and sleeping in the mornings and kind of doing the same thing again. What kind of emotion? So obviously there's a high of having a great season. Okay. Personally. And then also enjoying that with your teammates, but you're about to enter uncharted territory, which is life after college basketball. So how, how's that affect you? What's that? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that, the, the uncertainty was another thing that was, was another reason why it, I kind of went, I don't want to say went down that path, but kind of went on that streak is I didn't know what life was going to be like after college. I didn't have a job. I really did not. I didn't have any worries. So to me, it was like, let's go out and have fun because come graduation, come moving out of college park, life's about to hit you real. You got to start paying your own bills. You got to start paying rent. You got to pay for your cell phone bill. You got to pay for your car. I mean, you got a lot of things that are about to, to bear down on you. So, so you were on scholarship at Maryland. You were on scholarship at Maryland, right? Yeah, I was a full yeah scholarship athlete for all four years. Okay. So, I mean, I, I mean, I really didn't have anything to worry about. I mean, everything was paid for. There really an understanding of how it worked. You just knew you there was food on the table. Your lighting bill was paid. Your AC worked. Yep. No, hundred percent. So I kind of wanted to to enjoy that as as long as I could, and that's that's the avenue I took. Is 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 I would say enjoyed it to the max and graduated and kind of went into the summer, still enjoyed the summer, had a good time, was back home in Northern Virginia and kind of just kept the rodeo going. And the one thing that kind of stopped me or kind of made me realize that I need to kind of turn about face and kind of start getting a focus on life was I got a phone call from Bob McKillop, who was a, who's, Still the head coach at Davidson, obviously knew I had a great college career and probably knew I wanted to continue playing. And so he offered me a opportunity to, to apply for this. It was like a fifth year victory lap, as I would like to say it in, in Northern Ireland to go to school and play for a university team out there. And so I applied for the program called United States Northern Ireland Connection, US and I. And that's kind of how I kind of came about, slowed down, and kind of got my mind back into becoming a, a, a basketball player again and kind of just getting a, a grasp on life. Okay. So you get the phone call. You get the opportunity. What are the next steps? So, I, I mean, I started the application process. And it was talking to a family who still runs the same program now in Northern Ireland. And they came and interviewed me from Northern Ireland in, in Northern Virginia, asked me about kind of my my goals, kind of what I want to do, where I'm at now and are you willing to commit to a year of playing basketball in Northern Ireland, going to school to get a, a master's degree? And 
to me, it sounded amazing. I mean, I never was, I've never been outside of the U S at that point. I was what, 20, 22. And they were like, it's a, it's a year paid for to live in Northern Ireland, experience the culture, Northern Ireland and Ireland itself. And I was like sold and I was blessed enough to be selected as the, the one, one of like five or six candidates to go and enroll in this program. So you're still in basketball at this point and you have an opportunity to get a master's. I can relate. I mean, I, I stayed at Miami, so I'm, you know, we're from Virginia. I went to Miami. I played sports there, played baseball. And then I stayed for a master's because it was easy. I, it, it kind of delayed the inevitable of having to get a job and gave me some, some letters after my last name that, you know, you wear like a badge of honor, like people think you're smart or something. Right. I mean, that, that's why I did it. Honestly. It's so I wasn't necessarily wasting time, but you're kind of delaying it. There's no real, no real commitment. So, yeah, I definitely agree where you're coming from. And I, I was, I was, I was in the same boat. I was sure. like, look, I mean, if I can get a opportunity to go live overseas, I lived in a house with four other Irish guys. I mean, we were all going to school. We were playing basketball. I mean, life was good. Not a lot of pressure. The league was, was so, so, uh, as I said earlier, it was like a fifth year of college. I mean, great opportunity. We did some amazing work in, in the community out there. I also got to kind of, it, it kind of gave me the, the in the kind of exposure of what I needed to kind of see what life is like living overseas. Right. And it kind of gave me that itch to, to, to enjoy it and kind of see what other cultures are like outside of the U S but it definitely, I mean, it, it definitely delayed me getting a real job and kind of experience in the real world, but I definitely had to do some growing up because I was by myself in a, in a foreign country. Didn't know anybody until I got there. I had no family. Right. Nothing. So, I mean, I, I had to do some growing up, but it, it definitely pushed the inevitable of getting a, a real job. And, so you're out there with a bunch of, so you're out there with some Irish roommates in Ireland. You're, you're still doing basketball, right? So you're still, you're still playing basketball. You're not officially out of sports yet. What are you doing? Are you, you're up at five, you're working out again and you're extremely disciplined with, with your diet or, you know, cause you're just coming off uh, a victory lap at, uh, a college park. What's that look like? The lifestyle. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely wasn't as structured. I mean, we, well, well, first off we were, I mean, we were in school all day. Just the, the basketball world was a little bit different. I mean, we, we practiced probably two or three days a week, played a game one day a week. I mean, basketball was a focus for myself and for the, the organization I was playing for. But I mean, everyone that I was playing with either was in school or had a real time job. It wasn't as, as demanding as it was as a, I would say as a college athlete in sure. the United States, especially at the D one level. Sure. So, I mean, they're definitely, I mean, a lot of there, there definitely was a focus in going to the gym and working out, but there was no structure where you need to be in the gym doing this, doing that. It was more upon yourself to, to kind of go in there and push yourself, which it, I'm not going to lie. It was harder and it wasn't easy just because I, there was a lot of, a lot of outlets. I mean, we were in Belfast, we were living in a house before Irish dudes, Irish people like to have a good time. We definitely did both aspects. I mean, we, sure. we worked hard when we had to work hard, but at the same time, we also enjoyed ourselves uh, outside of basketball and, and kind of the nightlife. Were you the, were you the mayor of Belfast too, or only the mayor of College Park? I never got that that claim there, but I was definitely one of the more outgoing, loud Americans in Belfast during that year I was there. I. I, I have no doubt. And one of the more larger individuals in that country. Yeah. I was going to say you're Ireland. at least 12 inches taller than anybody over there. Yeah. So, so, so look, so you still got structure over there, right? Cause you're playing sports. You're also in school. So there's certain milestones that you need to hit in order to perform or at least participate in either one of those. Okay. When did that stop? And when did the safety net get cut out from under you? When the program was done. So I went to, Australia after the season was over and school was done to do an internship. And then I came back to the States. How'd you find the internship? It was good. I mean, I worked for a professional basketball team over there called the Melbourne Tigers. And we were kind of just behind the scenes, kind of admin interns. We helped kind of doing marketing for cams, kind of whatever they needed us to do. The owner of the team was, he was from Northern Ireland. So he was, if you did the sports management degree, he kind of signed up as it, the organization that would pick you up as an intern for three months part of the, as part of the program. So I went over there with another Irish gentleman. His name was Connor. 
we were there for probably three months. And I mean, we weren't playing any basketball. It was more just kind of, I mean, we trained with the team in practice, but we weren't playing any games. So we, I mean, we definitely got to experience, I mean, we worked every single day, but as again, made the most of it, went out kind of more as a hobby, all the time in Melbourne, traveled a little bit, but. So it sounds like traveling and the experience and, and the new culture was really the priority and working was kind of a hobby. For sure. I mean, that's definitely what, I mean, that's definitely what it was. I mean, sure. we, we, who knows if we'll ever be back to Australia at that time. We were like, we'll never be back. Let's make the most of it. Obviously we'll go to work and work, but we want to see Australia and kind of see what it has to offer. That's the kind of way we did. I mean, we were living out of a hotel, all the, the complete internship. So I mean, it was, it was living. Mean, you don't want to spend a lot of time in a hotel unless you're sleeping. So sure. So it's still to home. some extent a prolonged adolescence, not necessarily full blown adulthood. It sounds like yeah, you had. No, no, it definitely was a, a prolonged. Yeah. It definitely. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Which is fine, by the way. I mean, at this point, what you're 24 at this point, you had basketball led to basketball at Maryland led to more basketball in Ireland. The program in Ireland led to the internship in Australia, right? So everything's kind of, you're like a rock climber at this point. You're not letting go one rock and, until your hands on the next one. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, basketball got me to do that and got me to travel and see parts of the world that I probably would have never, ever seen if it wasn't for basketball. And it also gave me the, 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 the kind of eye opening experience of traveling abroad and experiencing different cultures. And now I talk to people till this day and they'll ask me like, what was your experience traveling abroad and tell them everything I've seen and say that I think everyone needs to experience overseas culture. And sure. It's going to see what other parts of the world are like. I mean, cause in the U S I mean, we kind of were, we're in an umbrella. I mean, it's a very large umbrella, but people need to get out and kind of see what the rest of the world is experiencing, what their life's like. So, I mean, I, I can't, speak enough to it, but it was, it definitely prolonged everything. Sure. But I mean, by the way, not to knock it, hell of an experience. And I, you know, I saw the change in you and our other friend, Marcus, who's still overseas, but I saw the change in you just getting a new perspective on things, having been overseas, because it's not something you ever had time to do when you were playing AU basketball in high school and college basketball in college park. So I think you took advantage of every opportunity that was presented. And that experience is something you could you can never trade. So, so what happened after Australia? So I came back. I mean, I was to still DC kind of in that adolescence, if you will, state of mind. But you you came back to <clears throat> DC to Virginia, yeah, to Northern Virginia. Okay, back to to my hometown. I mean, had no idea what I wanted to do. I've been in school for the last five years. Continued to play basketball. Never had a job in my entire life. I mean, I had a degree in criminal justice from University of Maryland. It was pretty much just a, a degree that a lot of athletes took because it was, wasn't easy, but I mean, it was very favorable for your schedule. It was a lot of tests and the, the professors were willing to work with your schedule a little bit to make your life a little easier. So I never really had an, a, the intention of going in, into the criminal justice industry. So I really came back and I was like, what do I want to do? And you would have been really such an intimidating cop, by the way. If, if- yeah. <laughs> Cop or, or, or prosecutor, you would have been un- unbelievable. <laughs> For sure. So, I mean, I, all I knew was basketball. And so I went to Joe Wooten and I was like, I'm going to give coaching a shot. And just because I knew I could be good at it, I knew basketball is a place I was extremely comfortable in. And uh, my dad at the time was a, the president of a loan officer uh, mortgage company. And he was like, you can be in LOA during the day and kind of coach in the evenings because I didn't want to be a school teacher and to kind of coach high school basketball when they practice at three o'clock and need a job that's flexible to get you sure. over there for practice. Yeah. I, I gave coaching a shot and enjoyed it. It was definitely fun. I kind of realized that it wasn't the the path that I wanted to go down. Not a lot of it is it was it from speaking to people that have been successful coaches in the coaching industry. I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a very hard profession to, to kind of grow and, have a stable family because every single year you're, you're applying for new jobs. You're trying to, to kind of make this next step. You're moving around, you're going there, you're on the road a lot recruiting. And I, I knew all one day, at one point in my life that I wanted to kind of have a family, something stable. And I just kind of knew early in, in that, that world that it was going to be tough to kind of get that, 
that lifestyle. And by the um, way, it's good that you figured it out then. Like that's a great experience to have too. Cause I think having a, an entire life at that point, completely in the world of basketball, the natural transition for a lot of people is to go into coaching. And we both know a lot of people who have stayed in coaching and don't like it. And it's inhibited them from having a family or some other things they want to do. And by the time you're, you know, mid thirties and you decide to try something new, it's a lot harder to start entry level doing something new. I had some close mentors that were coaches of that were my coaches in high school that have been at that time were in the college ranks coached a while and, and they were kind of in the same boat. They had a family and they had to make a decision it's, uh, of what they, what direction they wanted to go. And, they kind of sat me down because I had concerns as well. And those, those are the type of the concerns that they addressed to me. And I was like, ah, eh, you know, I don't, I, th- I'm, I love coaching and I still coach to this day. I, I, I train kids. I work with kids in school and I, I kind of love doing that. But I think the whole coaching profession and learning that early was, was huge because I mean, there's nothing worse than being in, in a profession that you don't enjoy, but you're in it just to, to be in it. It's, sure. It's, it's the recipe for disaster. And by the way, not to knock coaching, coaching's awesome. There's many people that have great careers in it and absolutely love it. We know a lot of them. For but sure. It's good that you figured out it wasn't for you. Yeah. So, all right. So at this point, you've played basketball professionally for a couple of years. You've tried coaching for a year. What's the next step? So the next step was I... And you're what? You're 25? 25-ish at this time. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was still kind of in those, if you will, kind of prolonged adolescence. I was still kind of having a good time, enjoying life, was working for a mortgage company once I finished coaching. And then I realized that I kind of wanted to kind of get out. I got the itch to travel again. And my cousin, Tom Malloy at the time, and his buddy started a sportswear company in San Diego and it was a startup company, very small. And they were like, look, if you want to come out here and bang the phones and, and make sales calls and try to try to grow our, our sales, you're more than welcome to come out here and experience that. And and so I, being the kind of traveler that I was and not really knowing what direction of life I wanted to go yet, I, I took them upon the opportunity and went out there and lived on my cousin's couch for six months and worked in their, their startup called Deuce Brand, which is still in existence today. Today, it's a great company. I did all right. San Diego, if you've never been, is a, a very interesting city. A lot of fun, very laid back. And I got kind of caught up into that a little bit. And I knew after six months, it was probably time. It was time for me to kind of move on. Tell me more about that, actually. You said got caught up in that. It's a lot of fun. Well, I, there, I just had a bunch of friends and we would, we would go out a lot. But what happened after Deuce Brand? That was like a year, right? Yeah, it was like seven months. I came back and that's when I started with Dysis. I think that's good because that was kind of when you kind of realized you needed to start taking things more seriously, right? Yeah. All right. So you're out in San Diego. You're having a good time. You're with Deuce Brand. It's what? It's like seven months you're out there? Yeah, it was seven months and it was a good run. I mean... I wasn't making a lot of money and I knew that kind of going out there. I just, San Diego is from what everyone has told me is a beautiful place to go. And it is a, is a beautiful place to visit. I was couch surfing, living on my cousin's couch and slowly approaching 25, 26 years old. And kind of reality was starting to hit like, all right, we need to figure out what I want to do, where I want to go in life. And so I kind of packed things back up and went back to DC and started digging into my network and reaching out to people and, Yo, that's a weird, that's so, just to stop there for a sec, that's kind of a weird place to be. Cause I was, I was there too. You know, you're 25, 26, you're mid twenties, which is like, if you watch anything that's on television, it's like, you think you're in your prime. You're finally making money. You get to wear nicer clothes. You're out having a good time. But so you've got friends at this point that are, you know, a few years into their careers, making a, a little bit more money than you. You're going out. They're spending money. You're, not making much of it. What's that like? I mean, it, it was, it's, it's hard. I mean, it sucked for me. It's, it sucked for me. I mean, it, yeah, it, blows. I mean, it, was, it yeah. was definitely hard. People were going on trips. People were doing things that I would obviously love to partake in. And I wasn't able to do it. I was still kind of living off my parents and they were helping me out. I mean, I was making a little bit of money, but not enough to, to fully sustain my, 
lifestyle. lifestyle. I mean, day to day, day to day, I was fine. But I mean, some of the bills I had and stuff I had to pay, I mean, I, I couldn't pay that. And I mean, that's just the, the reality of life and where I was at and kind of what was going on. And I, I kind of realized that I needed to figure out a career where I wanted to kind of call home and it wasn't, it wasn't deuce brand at the time. It, I didn't really know what it was, but I knew that my network and everything that I felt comfortable in and my kind of bubble was in Northern Virginia, the, the kind of Maryland area. And so I felt like I could put myself sure. in a better opportunity finding a career there. And so I kind of went back there and kind of started the whole process of figuring out what I wanted to do, what industry I wanted to go into and see where it went. And, and by the way, you, you've made, it's what, it's one, two, three. This is now four consecutive years in a row where you've pivoted. So you've got, which I think is good because you've at least identified that you didn't just want to stay in something that you weren't comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but there's also no continuity. No continuity. And I, and I'm not, I'm, yeah, I don't really have a reason for it. I mean, I, I guess maybe it was a little bit of fear of actually finding a real job and kind yeah. of trying to figure out and saying, okay, now I'm hitting 25 years old. The fun times are over. It's time to get a job working nine to five, whatever the, the hours are. And you, you know what though, man? You, like you keep saying, we, we keep going to it, you know, going back to it. You keep just kind of saying it like it's a thing, like, you know, going and having a fun time and having a fun time in, by the way, you had a great time. Like I, I was there for a lot of the fun times. You had a great time and we all had a great time with you, but that's kind of okay socially at that age. Cause everyone likes that person. Everybody kind of needs that person in the social circle. You're the, you're the fun guy that everyone's, you know, have another drink and drink more and watch Dave do this. And that was, that was you. It was me. And kind of looking back on it, it was fun. But I mean, the next morning I'd wake up and I, I really didn't have. A kind of a foundation to me. I mean, I, I was working kind of jobs that were kind of getting me by, but there was nothing really to kind of call home to as a career. And uh, maybe in what kind of covered it up was kind of going out and having a good time and having people in, enjoying that time that I was kind of out with them with. And, um, and so, and so not to cut you off, but from an identity standpoint, did you feel because there's really no continuity and no sense of purpose? And tell me if this isn't right. But it sounds like there's really no sense of purpose in your career. And the only continuity that's really there is your identity as the party fun guy. Did you feel some sort of obligation to? Yeah, I would definitely. I mean, I would definitely agree. Be that, that. guy. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I've kind of always held that on my shoulders. I'm like, I'm the guy that likes to go out. I like to bring people out and I like to have a good time. And I've kind of, I've grown out of that as I've gotten older. But I mean, during my twenties, I mean, that was kind of who I was and who my identity was. Maybe that would, would that have been different if I knew what I wanted to do in the real world and I had a real job and I couldn't do that, but who knows? I mean, looking back, it could have been, but that's kind of who I was and what my identity was, as you said, kind of during that, during that time. And don't shy away from it. Like own, own the shit out of it. That's part of who you are today. Your experience is having a good time and being the fun guy, right? And at some point you had to transition out of that. So when did, was it a smack in the face? Was it a gradual transition? Was there a pivotal moment where you were just like, holy shit, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I mean, it wasn't really a smack in the, not really a smack in the face or a, a specific incident, but I mean, it was just, I wasn't, I wasn't making any money. I had very little money to my name. I was kind of living off my cousin. I was living off my mom, living off my dad. And I, I just kind of knew it kind of was time to, to kind of make that turn. And I think that that's just kind of, that was, that, I mean, that was the biggest reason. Like I, I just couldn't keep doing this anymore. My parents were getting tired. I was, my parents were getting mad at me. I just wasn't, that wasn't really contributing. Yeah. I mean, I was working hard and doing stuff, but I mean, it was just kind of, it was little stuff here and there. And I, it, that's just, kind of really what kind of hit me and I kind of just woke up and was just like, this is, it's time for me to make a change. Did somebody kind say something that. to you or was it a combination of people saying things to you or was it just seeing people doing different things and seeing people doing different things? I mean, a lot of it was my parents just saying like, look, David, you need to kind of get a grasp on life and figure out what you want to do. I mean, obviously you're doing a great thing and you're working for a startup out in San Diego and helping your cousin. But I mean, is that really a, lifelong thing that you want to yeah. be doing 
and they were kind of just putting the pressure on me, pressure on me, pressure on me. Like, look, I, we can only do so much for you. We can only help you so much. And at that point, it was kind of a, it was just kind of a wake up call. A lot of my friends were, were making a, a good amount of money and they were kind of living on their own, having their own little life. And a, a, a little bit of jealousy sat in as well. Just kind of seeing what they were doing. They were able to kind of take trips on their own, kind of do their own thing and not have to rely on other people. And it was just ready for me. It was, it was ready. It was that, that kind of time that it was, I knew it was ready to kind of make a change. Was there anybody that you confided in or did you keep it all to yourself? I kept it all to myself. I mean, that, I, that's the kind of person I am. I kind of keep things in to me and I put it upon myself to kind of make that change or be that person. I'm not really big on kind of putting my issues or my concerns or my problems on other people. I kind of like to hold them in. And some people say it's not healthy, but it's just kind of what I've done my entire life. And uh, I, I, I do think for most of my life, I've been successful in what I've done. And it's just kind of what I, it's just the way I am. Yeah, absolutely. And you've also been fortunate to have a really good support network around you between your family. You've got awesome friends, you know, and I think you had a lot of people that helped you kind of get out of it and transition to the next level. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how, that's how I found my next, next opportunity was my network, reaching out to people and kind of talking to them about what they're doing, how they got into it, what they like, what are the pros and cons? I mean, and kind of going back to who's your network compiled of at this point in time? Because everyone always says, oh, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to network. And people go to like networking events and wear name tags and stuff. What is, was networking yeah, so look like to you? Definitely not networking events. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's uh, a lot of my, my teammates, kids, people I grew up with playing basketball that are very successful. I mean, it is Maryland alumni in itself. I mean, that's a, that's a great networking group and, that that's really all I need, but I mean, I do have yeah. more. I mean, my dad's been very successful. He's got a lot of friends who are successful. I have friends of friends that are successful. I mean, my big, when I say networking, it's within my, my group of friends or close family that I feel comfortable that I can call and just sure. say, Hey, I need, you know, this person, I need you to put me in contact with him and vice versa. I'm not a big person going not to knock on networking events. They're great for certain industries and certain people. But for me, it's close friends, family, former teammates, yeah. former coaches. It's kind of all I really need. And, it, you know, people that you know on a level where you can be like, look, man, I need help. I, I need you to just at least guide me. At least for me, I've always learned by seeing people do things the right way, right? And finding a mentor and being like, that's what I want to be. I haven't necessarily done well just trying to reinvent the wheel on things. I, I always find it's easier to at least start following in somebody's footsteps. No, I think that's... That's the best way to do it. And that's kind of what I did. I mean, my, I mean, I never, I, so after Deuce Brand, I came back, it took me about three months to figure out what I thought I wanted to do. I really had no idea. And this kind of goes back to the college days. I mean, I never had a chance to work. I never had a chance to do an internship. I never had anything that I can claim to on my resume and close to the, I really, it's so like my dream job coming out of college is working at Under Armour. Coming from Maryland, being an underwear school, I thought I could get a job there somehow, some way. Ended up never working out. And a lot of it was they said that we lost, you lost other people who had experience kind of doing the job or had some sort of real world experience. And it, it kind of, it kind of irked me that I wasn't, I mean, being a college athlete, I think in itself speaks to a, a wealth of experience. And the fact that I was losing out to people that had experience that they got during college when I really didn't have the time to do it, kind of push my butt. Yeah. And the fact that you say that, you know, at, at Miami, we, we were a Nike school when, when I was there and now we're an Adidas school, but you'd always hear athletes talking about, I'm going to work for Nike. And then it was, I'm going to work for Adidas. I don't know how many actually did. I know some that did and it didn't work out for them, but you know, they feel like it's, you're a shoe in because you were an athlete. You have to yeah. compete with the rest of the world who wants those jobs. And they've had time to actually work and get experience. It's it's not easy. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't know. I mean, I was yeah. a college athlete. I thought I'd be coming from Maryland and kind of having a face to like having a, a name to myself. Under Armour might be like, okay, this is great. But it, it didn't happen. So, I mean, this is going back now six years later when I was trying to figure out what career I wanted to do. I, I still didn't know because I've never worked. I never 
found anything that I thought really enjoyed doing, nothing experience wise that I had. I couldn't really speak to anything. So, I mean, I was kind of starting the real world at 26, not knowing what I wanted to do. So how did you get on the right path? So luckily, I mean, I had some friends that I reached out to. I saw what they were doing. It seemed like it was a good company. I talked about what they were doing. It it seemed very similar to coaching, but it it had a different spin to it. And their boss was a a former Maryland athlete. He played lacrosse back in the 80s. And they reached out to him and said, a former Maryland player is interested in joining the organization and, and doing IT recruiting. And he was like, Dave Neal, no, no problem. Have him come in. I don't have a job for him or anything, any availability right now, but I'll, I'll give him a rundown of the industry. And we kind of sat there for three hours, just kind of talking about my experiences at Maryland, what I've been doing after, kind of how he got into the, into the industry, his experience after college and very similar paths. And I kind of walked out and I was like, this is the, this is the company and this is kind of the industry I want to get into. And about a week later, he called me back. I interviewed with another supervisor there and they ended up hiring me. And I was there for, shoot, about six and a half years doing IT recruiting. It was very successful. Six and a half years anywhere is a long time. That's tremendous testament to you figuring it out, right? And to you sticking to something that was new. So, yeah, I mean, and even, I mean, I had no experience going into it and I was determined to kind of be the one of the best in the organization. I mean, I was consistently in the top. 15 recruiters in the entire organization, probably at about 150. And I think a lot of it just kind of correlates back to my work ethic as an athlete. Like the job is to, to burn and churn phone calls and call people and talk to people and figure out if this job matches this, if that job matches that. And the only way you're going to do that is call people and talk to people. And I enjoy talking to people. I, I do it for a living, just kind of talking with people and day to day. And it was a a commission-based job. And so the more people you place, the more money you make and being a competitor that I am, I knew that it was going to be a great job and it turned out to be an awesome career. And I would still probably be with the organization if I I didn't meet my amazing wife and join the foreign service and live abroad. It was definitely an amazing run and it was kind of life-changing. So before we get into meeting your wife and moving abroad, because I think that's a great story in and of itself. How do you think the skill sets from athletics helped you in recruiting? Because recruiting's it's pretty cutthroat, right? Eat what you kill, and it's commission based. For sure, yeah, it's very cutthroat. But it's, uh, I mean, time management, hard work, having a very structured work ethic, getting in there early and staying late, kind of as what athletes do. I mean, it's it's you're on the phone and you're trying to call people that are already have jobs, so they're working during the day, so it's getting in early and trying to catch them before they get in the work and it's staying late, trying to catch them when they're after work and staying organized. I mean, as an athlete, you have to be organized because you're not only balancing academics and school and homework and tests and papers and tutors and study hall, but you're also balancing a, a highly competitive basketball schedule. Sure. So I mean, that, that definitely is, those are probably the two biggest things, having a, a strong work ethic, being competitive, and being able to stay organized, I think were three of the big things that correlated over and, and made me successful. Sure. And so the discipline with all of that, right? You're there for six years. You use the skill sets of being tremendously disciplined, organized, autonomous. You've got, I think, innately have tremendous social skills, which is something that you need, not only just to network and get you personally into a new field, but also to be successful with your teammates at work and also with the people that you're bringing on. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to have and needs to have rapport with somebody that they're trusting with their own careers. For sure. So, all right. I just think it's an awesome, that's an awesome story because a lot of people hit 25, hit 26, don't have something figured out and hit the panic button and they're jumping around in careers forever. You pivoted. You continue. You had some quick pivots year over year for four years and then finally just hit your sweet spot. I think it was great. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was, and it was amazing. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I had to give a lot of credit to, to Mike who hired me at Dysis and gave me the opportunity just because he knew I had no experience and he knew, but he knew being a Maryland Terrapin and what it took to be a successful student athlete. He knew I had it in me to be a successful IT recruiter at the organization that I worked with. So, I mean, I have to give him a lot of credit, but also to myself. I mean, I, 
I was determined to be whatever, whatever that next job was that I was taking when I came back from San Diego was going to be my job for the foreseeable future. I wasn't going to be making a jump or doing something again. I was, I was going to stick in it. I was going to be successful and figure out a way to make it, it make me enjoy it. And, sure. And I got, I, I think I got, I, I somewhat got lucky, but at the same time, I think just with my network and with the hard work that I put in to try to find that right job really paid off. I mean, not to be cliche, but they always say no such thing as luck. Luck's when preparation meets opportunity. And it, I like that. And everything we've, uh, we've been talking about is opportunities. It sounds like you just found the right opportunity and psychologically we're at the right point in your life where you knew that you needed to succeed and you wanted to succeed almost yeah. if nothing else to prove something to yourself. So now for six years, you've, you've had success. You're at a different point in your life where your self-efficacy is there. You've had a pretty tried and true stand on your resume with one company. How do we get to being in Columbia? Talk to me about the next couple, uh, couple pivots. October of, I think it was October of 2015. As everyone know in this world, there's a world, uh, online dating. I was on Tinder. I was looking for obviously a woman that, or a lady that I wanted to marry and fall in love with. And we came across each other on Tinder and we had a mutual friend that works for Department of State and. Vanessa, which who is now who is now my wife, she's actually sitting in the room right now. So there's a little bit of pressure on me to kind of have everything. You started stuttering. I figured, yeah, I figured it's coming from somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> she's in the room. So yeah, so October t- 2015, I met Vanessa on Tinder. <laughs> Tinder came up, and Vanessa just like bolted in the room. The what? I said you said Tinder, and then she just bolts in the room. I was like, I need to supervise this. <laughs> I give Tinder all the credit in the world because there's probably no other way I would ever met Vanessa. So we met in 2015 and then we went on a bunch of dates, started dating. We dated for about three years, got married in April of 2018. As we spoke earlier, John was at the wedding. I had to say a pretty fun one in myself. That was uh, that was a throwback to your roots. You personally were a pretty good time at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear that. We got married in April. Funny story is the, on our first date, she did tell me that she's in the foreign service and her job is going to be taking her overseas for majority of her career. And kind of with my past living overseas in Northern Ireland, Australia, just being fine with moving around. I was like, this is perfect. Like this is a life that I could definitely get in with and enjoy. So come July of 2018, we were moving to Jerusalem. We had our, our daughter there. Keegan in February of 2019. And we were there till July of 2020. And now we just arrived here in Bogota, March of 2021. So it's been a, a pretty roller coaster three years, but it's been a lot of fun just kind of seeing different parts of the world, becoming a dad, becoming a husband, and kind of starting a whole new aspect of life and kind of a whole new career, if you will. Yeah. As a kind of a family man. Yeah. And I think if there's one theme throughout this, you know, after sitting here for about an hour combined time between the power outages, it's, it's adaptability. I think you've just adapted to so many different situations and made the most of the opportunities. And now you're sitting extremely comfortable with a family in Bogota, Colombia. And honestly, I don't know a lot of other people that would be as comfortable as you are doing that. It definitely, I mean, it, it's, it takes a lot of time. And I mean, I don't know if you know anyone in the foreign service, they're all amazing people, amazing diplomats, but it, it's an interesting lifestyle. Every two years, you're pretty much moving to a different country, adapting to a new culture. I'm here trying to learn Spanish. If you've ever been to Bogota, English is not very well, it's not spoken here at all. I live in Miami, so I can, uh, I can kind no, of, so you, yeah, you definitely have a feel for that. And so it, that is a whole nother level that I have to get used to is kind of going out and just trying to figure out the language barrier. But I am taking Spanish three days a week and trying to kind of get up to speed on that so I can kind of go out and use that language and embrace myself and the culture here in Bogota. All right. So let's, let's wrap it up and hit the lightning round. It's been awesome. You know, I've known you for about 20 years now. Is that? Yeah. We were. Freshman, 2001, 20 years. That, yeah. Wow. More. <laughs> wow. Around there, give or take. It might be a little bit more, but right? a long time. Yeah. I mean, two, 2000, let's say 2000 to 2021. So maybe 21 years. That's wild. Yeah. 
So we've, I mean, we know each other extremely well, but hearing this story, the way that you just told it, I think helps me understand a little bit more about you. I didn't before. So I appreciate you taking the time man. seriously. Of course, man. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. So listen, this goes outside of, of me and you, this is for the people who are going to hear it, trying to deliver a message and, and hopefully give them some of your wisdom and experience so that they can make better decisions throughout their playing career or after or wherever they are right now. So I've got a lightning round of questions that, that I think would be great if you could answer. No preparation, just right off, right no off the top. Okay. I'm ready. How would your friends describe you? Loving, outgoing, helpful. What do you think the biggest misconception about you is? Biggest misconception. That's a good question. That I'm actually one hell of a basketball player. <laughs> you don't think you are? You mean a misconception of what people think of me? Yeah. Or about myself? Yeah. No, misconception people think about you. Oh, that's, a hard, that's a tough question. Let me think about it. Let's, let's go through the other ones. Let me come back to that one. All right. We'll go through the other ones. What mistakes do you see athletes make in or after their careers that may make the path after sports more difficult? I think asking people for help and just kind of asking people for advice. I think a lot of people... Be once you're a successful athlete, people expect you to kind of be successful in whatever you do. I mean, I think when you're thrown into things that you're not experienced with or you're not used to, people kind of get they can become sheltered and they kind of curl up and kind of, if, if you will, go into a ball. And I think it's it's never bad to ask for help, ask for advice, and kind of go out to that limb and get people's advice on what what you think or what you need or what what you want to do. That's, that's so good. Just be vulnerable and own where you are and just ask for help. Cause ask for help. I, yeah. I think there's a misconception that people who have figured it out have actually figured it out. I don't, I don't think anybody's figured it out. No, uh, it, I would agree with you as well. I mean, never, never be afraid to ask for help. Is there's always someone out there that, that's willing to help you and give you an opportunity to do something for you to, to better yourself. All right. It might be the same answer. Maybe, maybe not. What advice, if you had one piece of advice for current athletes or former athletes at any level in their career, what would you give them? I mean, every day, wake up and be the best, be the best individual that you can be. I mean, that's, I mean, doing everything you can to better yourself. If it's, if it's waking up and making the bed, do that. If it's waking up and kind of going out and running five miles, do that. But I mean, don't shortcut yourself, make yourself the best person you can be every single day and be proud of who you are. And don't let people kind of bring you down or talk you down for mistakes that you made or things that you've done. Just know that you're doing everything you can to be the best person that you are. Love it, dude. Love it. Last one. What do you want the title of this podcast to be? Is Vanessa still there? No, she left. Okay. The title of this podcast. I, I, I kind of want to go back to something, but the mayor of College Park kind of <laughs> speaks the truth or something like that. I like that. Like the mayor, uh, I don't know, the mayor. Uh, inside the mayor of College Park's office or something. Yeah, inside the mayor of College Park's office. I don't know if that would that's actually a scandal or something. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. Okay. Inside the mayor of College Park's office or Something along those lines. I like it. I'll make sure I work it in there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Who should be on this podcast next? Dude, I think you'd have a, a very interesting time speaking with Gravis Vasquez. The dude has overcome a lot. I mean, he's been very successful. He played probably, I think, eight years in the NBA. And now he started his own company. He's doing some serious work in Mexico City. He just bought a Colombian basketball team. He's in the horse racing. He's just kind of, I mean... If you speak to him, you'll hear that. I mean, the dude is, he's relentless and trying to be the most successful person that he can be. I mean, I think he'll have a lot of great things to say about the kind of post-game podcast mindset and what makes you successful from an athlete to the real world and overcoming different obstacles and kind of making yourself the best person you can be. I'd love the opportunity to do that. I, I mean, I've read... I obviously know who he is. I've read a lot about what he's doing now, and I think that'd be a great opportunity. So hopefully we can make it happen. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, dude, thanks again. I really appreciate it. No, man. I appreciate you inviting me on here. I mean, it's definitely an honor. Of course, man. 
hopefully this sheds some light and helps an athlete or two kind of in their their career path and can kind of lead them in the right direction for sure man that should do it if you enjoyed this episode please don't hesitate to share with a friend family member colleague or just listen to it over and over again don't forget to follow us on instagram it's at postgamepodcast underscore or if you really have nothing to do you can feel free to follow my personal instagram it's at jonathan weislow until next time this has been the postgame podcast